Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Welcome to Activate Online. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you are a guest of Activate Christchurch, is in a church that you would normally visit on a Sunday morning, but you're watching online today, thank you. You are more than welcome. Some very exciting news for us this morning because it looks like, doesn't it? It looks like that next Sunday we will be able to meet in person with each other at church in Sockburn, which is awesome. Um, a lot of people messaging over the last couple of days and saying, hey, could we not have met this morning? Uh, it looks like the rules have kind of been relaxed a little bit or there's been some clarification and could we not have met this morning? Uh, and look, maybe we could have. It certainly looks like we could have. Certainly the police have come out and said that we could have. But we chose not to for a couple of reasons, and I just wanted to fill you in on those very quickly. Uh, first of all, we didn't find out all this stuff until Friday, and so it really didn't give us enough time to get into the building uh, and do some cleaning. Like I popped in during the week, there are spiderwebs on the walls in the sanctuary, in the auditorium. And so we needed to get in and do some cleaning. We needed to make sure that we were up to speed as far as what we were required to do by the government with regards to health and safety and contact tracing and things like that. We wanted to make sure that we had good hygiene practices in place. And we just didn't feel that we could do that in essentially like a day. Uh, that was the first reason. The second reason, and this was the main reason for me really, is that that I want to make a hundred percent sure that when we do come back together physically in our building at church, that every single person that calls Activate Christchurch home knows about it and has the chance to join us if they want to. Now, I know that when we do meet in person for the first time, that not everybody will be able to do it, that some of us that are still uh, maybe at risk health-wise or a little bit older uh, might not want to come along on that first Sunday. But I just hated the thought that there would be anybody that is a part of the Activate Christchurch family that would miss out on the first time that we came back together because they didn't know about it, because maybe they didn't get a chance to check their emails over the weekend, or maybe we couldn't get a hold of them on the phone, and we would have had to try and do it all in the space of like, you know, a Saturday. And, and I just hated the idea that someone would be at home going, I didn't know that you guys were meeting. I would have loved to have been there. So that was the second reason we decided to do this. And then the third reason is because next Sunday, the 31st of May, is Pentecost Sunday, which is the Sunday traditionally uh, viewed around the world by Christians as the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. And I just thought it was a, a really cool coincidence that we would essentially be meeting for the first time after months of not being able to meet and celebrating like the, you know, the rebirth of church as we know it uh, on the same Sunday that traditionally we would celebrate the birth of the church. And so if you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, just really quickly, you've got, you've got Easter weekend, which is the weekend that we celebrate Jesus being uh, crucified on the cross and then coming back to life. Well, traditionally, before he went up to heaven, he said to the disciples, hey, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And he's not coming today, but you just wait and he'll come. And so the disciples waited and they waited. And then in Acts chapter 2, it tells the story of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples while they were gathered in the upper room. And they go outside and they preach and 2,000 people become Christians. And that's like the day that the church was born. And traditionally, that day is seven. It's always seven Sundays after Easter weekend. And so that's next Sunday. And so I just love the idea that we would be meeting for the first time on Pentecost Sunday. 
Sunday. And so those are the reasons that we decided to just go with one more online service this morning and then be able to meet in person next week. So we have to wait and see what comes out tomorrow, what Jacinda says uh, on Monday. Um, and then once we know for sure what's going on, I will make sure that you know what's going on and we will be, and we will be in that place like jam on toast. It's an extremely weird thing to say. I've never said that in my life. I don't know where that came from, but we will be there, all right? So this morning, uh, we should, by rights, be continuing with our series on the Ten Commandments. We've done eight commandments. We've got two more to go. Number nine is do not lie. Number ten is do not, you know, covet. Don't be jealous or envious of what other people have got. And the OCD part of me would love to finish this series off, but I don't think we will because when we get back into the building next week, I, I really feel that that's the start of something new. That's the start of a new season that God has got new things that he wants to do, new things that he wants to say. And I just don't think it would be right to kind of continue a series that we've been doing for the last few months. And, you know, maybe even there's a prophetic edge to that in that I don't want to literally take the law from the last season and bring it into the new season. I just want a clear cut where we go, this is new, this is something fresh, it's something exciting. And, and I'm happy to just stop after eight weeks. There's a part of me that goes, oh, maybe I could do commandment number nine and commandment number 10 this morning and jam it into one, one service and then kind of tick that box. But I don't want to do that either because this morning... I just really want to uh, deliver a message that puts Jesus Christ front and center because, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been talking about, I feel like I've been fairly consistent with my message, which has been, we need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to be thinking about the things that Jesus will be thinking about. Let's not get distracted. Let's not get bogged down with all the things that are going on in the world and all the different stuff that's happening around us. Let's just, you know, like a horse with blinkers on, let's just focus on Jesus. Let's just put him first. And so over the last couple of Sundays, you know, because of the nature of the messages that we've been doing, they've been very much like, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And and I've talked a little bit about some behaviors that I think we need to be careful of as Christians. But this morning, I just, I just want to brag on God. I just want to put Jesus front and center. I want to make him the thing that we're focusing on this morning. And so um, this morning's message is called Two Watts and a Why. Two Watts and a Why. Um, and you'll find out why in a minute. But one of the ways that God talks to me most often, I've found, is that he will drop a Bible verse into my heart or into my head. And so what happens is that I'll just be minding my own business. You know, I'm not like necessarily always having a quiet time or reading my Bible when it happens. Although that does happen. But oftentimes I'm just at the gym. Or <laughs> I couldn't say it with a straight face. Um, sometimes I do go to the gym, but not very often. Uh, certainly not recently. Maybe a more accurate statement would be sometimes when I'm eating pizza. Uh, you know, I've literally eaten pizza more often this week than I went to the gym. Um, but sometimes I'll be driving or I'm just minding my own business, right? And I will just, I won't even be aware that I'm doing it, but I'll just start thinking about a Bible verse. Uh, and I won't always know the reference. Sometimes I will have to Google it to go, I'm sure the Bible says this somewhere. Where does it say it? Um, but what usually happens is that I'll start thinking about it. And then two or three days later, it'll click for me that I've been thinking about this for two or three days. And I'll realize, huh. This is a Bible verse that's been pinging around in my brain for the last 72 hours. So I'm not the quickest guy in the field, but I do get there eventually. And so that's one of the ways that God talks to me. And so over the last week, week and a half, that's what's been happening. I've had this particular Bible verse that's just been sort of pinging around in my brain. It's kind of like, remember back in the old days, you had a DVD players, and when you push pause on the DVD, the screensaver would come up, and it was always like this, like, 
this oblong DVD logo, and it just said DVD, and it just moved around the screen. And every time it hit a wall or the top or the bottom, it would change color, right? So it'd be like blue, and then it would go bing yellow, bing green, bing orange. And it became, I always used to find it quite hypnotizing. You'd sit there and watch it, and as it kind of pinged around, it would get closer and closer to hitting the corner, like right perfect in the corner, and you'd be like willing it to hit the corner, and then it would just kind of ping ping, ah, oh, it was so close. Honestly, there'd be times when, you know, my family would come back in and want to keep watching the movie, and I was like, no, we need to see it hit the corner first. Again, it's my OCD coming through, but that's what happens with the Bible verse for me. It kind of pings, you know, it just sort of pings around my life, and then eventually I realized that it's pinging. And so over the last week to 10 days, I've had this Bible verse, and, and I ended up looking it up, and I found out that it wasn't even entirely accurate. I'd morphed two different versions together, but the Bible verse is, and I'll read it out to you in a minute, but it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And what I had pinging around in my life for the last week was, you know, fix your eyes on him, or we fix our eyes on him, uh, or we stay fixed on him. There's different versions in my brain. The author and perfecter of our faith, talking about Jesus, right? The author and perfecter of our faith. And so I looked it up and it's Hebrews 12, verse 2. And in the NIV, it says pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And the King James says author and finisher of our faith. And so I've taken author from King James and I've taken perfecter from the NIV and I've put the two together. I've got my own version of the Bible now called the JVB. I've decided, the JVB. So when you get the NIV and you mix it with the KGV, it becomes the JVB. I'm happy with it. I still think the, you know, the sentiment of what I was saying was accurate. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And just this idea throughout the last week and a half that we are just fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so what I wanted to do this morning, and I won't take long, is I just want to remind us of who we serve and how awesome he is and why we go to church and why we're going to come back together next Sunday and worship him because he's he's just extraordinary. He's amazing. So two what's and a why. Let me read you this. All right, we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation this morning, but it says this, We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross, and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. It is an absolutely beautiful Bible verse, right? So two what's and a why. Two what's and a why. There are three things that happen in this Bible verse. Two of them are what's, and one of them is a why. And so we're going to start at the end of the Bible verse, and then work our way back to the beginning. So the first why is this. It says that Jesus conquered the humiliation of the cross. Talking about Jesus being crucified on the cross, it says he conquered its humiliation. The NIV says that he scorned its shame, and the King James Version says that he despised its shame. When you look up the Greek word that's translated conquered or scorned or uh, despised, it literally means to dis empower or to um, you know to to look at something as if it were nothing to disesteem is the actual definition so when we esteem something right we put value into it we put stock into it we elevate it above everything else and we give it credibility to disesteem something is to do the complete opposite it's to take the credibility out of it to take it off its high perch to devalue it and so that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross because in Jesus's day, to die on a cross was incredibly shameful. 
In the Jewish culture, it literally says in the Old Testament that you are cursed if you die on a tree. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he says that Jesus became a curse for us. Because the Bible says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. That's what Paul says. So in the Jewish culture, it was like the worst thing that could happen to you. You are literally cursed as you're dying. You die a cursed man or you die a cursed woman. It's incredibly shameful. In the Roman culture, which was the culture that the Jews were living in, in Jesus' day, it was so shameful. I read this just this week, that it was it was shameful to even use the word crucifixion in everyday language. It was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst criminals. Roman citizens were not crucified unless they were found guilty of treason, which was the worst crime you could commit. And even even then it was rare that they were crucified. They were usually crucified naked. They were crucified on the sides of the road because the main uh, thrust behind crucifixion was not just to punish the perpetrator, but to serve as a warning for everybody. This is what happens if you act like this person acted. It was incredibly shameful. And so the first thing that Jesus did is he despised that shame. Jesus said, I don't care. I don't care if this is going to be shameful. I don't care if this is going to be embarrassing. You know, I'm going to disesteem all of that. Jesus said, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people think of me. And there is such a lesson in that, guys. Like, you know, we constantly struggle with this fear of man versus fear of God. And all it is, essentially, is it's like, whose opinion do you value more? Whose opinion do you care about more? Do you care more about what people think of you? Or do you care more about what God thinks of you? And Jesus said, I don't care that this is the most shameful thing that could happen to a person. I don't care that this is, you know, that I'm literally cursed by doing this. I don't care because it's what God is asking me to do. And that's something that we can learn from, right? That we go, I don't care what people think if what people think isn't what God thinks. Like, I, I think it's important that people, you know, like you. I think it's important that people esteem you and value you. I mean, influence comes through relationship. People have to think that you're a good person, but you're never going to please everybody, right? You're not ice cream. And so for me, the line is, I don't care what people think if what people think isn't what God thinks. Uh, and one of the one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last year as, as a leader and getting into leadership is that there will always be people who don't like you. Um, you know, I would go so far as to say that I don't think you can do anything significant for God if you are constantly stressing about what people think of you. One of the most powerful things that you can say, which I say to myself all the time, is what people think of me is not my business, right? What other people think of me is not my business. Now, sometimes people make it my business because they come and tell me what they think of me. And then it's really hard to not have that as part of your business. I mean, I have sometimes people even put it in writing what they think of me and then send it to other people in my church. So, you know, that's sometimes easier said than done. And there are different things in my life that I find it easier to, you know, focus on what God's saying and then other parts where I find it easier to focus on what men are saying. And so that's a work on for all of us, right? But this is one of the things that Jesus Christ has did for us. He said, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks of me, what anybody says about me. I'm going to do this. So the first what is that he just despised all of the shame that came with crucifixion. He despised all of it. The second what, if we move a little bit further up in the Bible verse, it says that he endured the cross. And whether you look at the Passion Translation or the NIV or the King James Version, they all use the same word, endured. And that's because the Greek word means that. It means endured. And we know what the word endured means. It, it doesn't mean endured 
enjoyed. It doesn't mean that he loved it. I mean, it's 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 you go through it because you have to. There's no other way to describe it. And your goal at the end of it is just to still be standing, essentially. You know, like when the dust settles and the smoke clears that you are just you're still there. And one of the things that Jesus did for us on the cross was he he went through it. He endured it. And honestly, I think that one of the most powerful things that you can do is build an understanding and an awareness of what Jesus went through. Because the more that we understand the price that he paid, the more thankful we are. I mean, one of the things that that I did, I think it was a might have been a couple of years ago now. It's hard to tell because the last few years have gone so fast. But you know, I sat down and I watched The Passion, the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion, which is an incredibly accurate and realistic portrayal of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And like I bawled like a baby the whole way, like the whole way through, just tears pouring down my face. And boy, did it give me an appreciation for what Jesus had done for me. I was just reading this week again about, you know, just the absolute barbaric practice of crucifixion. It is considered and was considered at the time to be the single most painful way that you could kill a person. It was it was more painful than beheading, more painful than being eaten by wild animals. You know, one of the things I learned, I don't want to be too graphic, but one of the things I learned this week is that, you know, the picture that we have of Jesus being, you know, really up high and the soldier coming with a spear and, and reaching up and stabbing his side probably wasn't accurate. That actually the Roman practice was to crucify people like six inches off the ground. And the reason they did that is because they wanted them to be accessible for the wild dogs that would come in. Like wild dogs would come in and they would literally start eating them from the knees down while they were still alive. Like they, they would often, as much as they hammered nails and hands into the wood, they would often hammer genitals in as well. I mean, it was an and, and it was incredibly common practice for you to be tortured within an inch of your life before you even got nailed to the cross. I mean, what... What Jesus did for us on that cross is just extraordinary. And you will never, ever convince me that he was just a wise man with wise teachings because what he went through is just beyond the pale. Um, you know, the Bible says in the Gospels that before he was crucified, he sweated blood. You know, it is it is a medical condition called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis, and it literally happens when the blood vessels that feed the sweat, um, you know, the parts of your body that sweat, the sweat glands, when the blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, the blood literally secretes out through your pores, through your skin, and you sweat blood. And I was reading about it this week. It is, you know, it's it happens, but it's incredibly rare, and it only happens when somebody is going through extreme physical or emotional stress. I mean, can you imagine being that terrified that your blood vessels inside your body are bursting? And yet that's what happened with Jesus. The Bible says he sweat blood. And a little bit later on in Hebrews chapter 12, just two verses down, the writer of Hebrews makes this point. He says, or she says, we don't know who wrote it. Probably Paul, but we don't know. But they say, hey, you haven't sweated blood yet. Am I right? Like everything that you're going through, I'm sure it seems like a big deal to you, but you haven't yet sweat blood. So let's just give Jesus some credit. Like what he went through on the cross was just, it was extraordinary. And so I just want to really encourage you to like do, if you don't know what Jesus went through on the cross, sit down and watch the passion. Don't do it with your kids. It's way too violent. You know, do some reading, do some research because the more appreciation uh, you know, we can get for what Jesus did, just the more the more grateful, you know, you will become. It's been an incredibly powerful way for me to uh, just, just increase my um, 
gratitude for what Jesus has done is just understanding more and more about what he did. You know, and I heard a guy say a while ago, and, and I don't know if this is true, but he was someone with an incredibly theologically, yeah, theological, theological background. And he said, look, the pain that Jesus went through on the cross, as excruciating and horrific as that was, would not have been as difficult for him as the spiritual separation between him and God. Because, you know, as human beings, we can't under, even understand this concept that time never had a beginning. And never has an end that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, three separate persons, one God, that they all lived just forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then there's this one moment in time where Jesus is separated from his father, where the Bible says that God looked away, that, that the connection between the two of them was broken. And Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And that would have been an incredibly difficult thing for him to process through. And so there's so many different components to what Jesus did on the cross. So the two what's, I mean, he he scorned the shame of the cross. He endured the cross. And then we get to the why. And this is the most powerful part of the whole verse. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he did it. Why? Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. You know, there's a um, very common thought process now in business and in commerce and in you know the corporate world, which is that the reason we do things, the why behind we do things is the most important thing. There's a guy called Simon Sinek who wrote a book called Starting With Why. Uh, and, you know, and so now it's become a big thing over the last 10 to 15 years. But it makes sense. Essentially, it says that the, your motivation behind why you do things, your why, what drives you, is far more important than anything else. And so you hear buzzwords like, you know, the bigger your why, the, the higher you fly. I've heard that one. Or your why should make you cry. But essentially what it boils down to is that why you do something is going to dictate how far you're prepared to go. And the more, the bigger your why is and the more you care about your why and the more powerful your why is, the more extreme you will go. Can you imagine how big someone's why would have to be to allow themselves to be tortured to the point of death and then hung on a cross by nails in their hands and their feet? Can you imagine how powerful that why would have to be? And yet the Bible says that what Jesus' why was, was it was the joy of knowing that you would be his. Everything that he went through, he was able to go through because he stayed focused on your face and on my face. And I just wanted to, to highlight that this morning, you know, two what's and a why. I just wanted to put that in front of us this morning and to just lift them up and to make Jesus front and center. Because when we come back to church next week, that's who we are worshiping. We are worshiping someone who went through hell, literally went down through hell. And he did all of it because he was focused, his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. It's a, it's, he's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you know, as, as your pastor, as your leader, if someone said to me, you know, hey, what do you want your church to look like? Like, what's your ideal church um, look like? I would say it looks like a group of people. And I don't care how many people that is. I mean, Jesus turned the world upside down with 12, 11, actually. You know, there were so, there were, there were so few people in the house when the Holy Spirit fell that they could fit in a house. I mean, think about it. There's not a thousand people there. There's like maybe 50, 100. How many can you fit in a home? Not a lot of people. And yet the whole world gets turned upside down. It's not about how many people there are. It's, you know, how many people God chooses to trust us with is totally up to him. But whatever it is, it is a group of people. If you said to me, what do you want your church to look like? I would say a group of people that are focused on Jesus. That's it. That's all I care about. A group of people that are focused on Jesus. And so my job 
uh, over the last eight weeks and moving forward has been and will be to just point to him. That's my job as your leader is to just say, hey, look, look at Jesus. And anytime anyone starts to spin away, just pull them back and say, hey, look at Jesus. That is my job uh, as leader of this church is to go look at Jesus. Let's just look at Jesus. Guys, let's just look at Jesus to point to Jesus. And let's look at the start of verse two. It says this, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. That is my heart for Activate Christchurch moving forward, that we are a group of people that have looked away from the natural realm and have our gaze fastened on Jesus. So let me just encourage you this week to lift him up, to fasten your gaze on him, to, to just look at what he has done for us, to do whatever you have to do until that gratitude fills your heart and overflows. You know, you, you're not full until you start overflowing. As long as there's still more room in you, you're not full. It's not until you start overflowing. Um, so lift him up this week. You know, read your Bible. Um, commit to just getting closer to Jesus. Whatever your routine looks like, just... Get into him this week. He loves you so, so much. He's so excited uh, to be with you. He gave his life for an opportunity to know you. Your face was what he was picturing when his hands were being nailed to the cross and his feet were being nailed to the cross. And that's all I want to tell you this morning is that we serve a wonderful God. We serve a wonderful Jesus. And I'm so looking forward to being able to lift him up and worship him with you next Sunday. All right, let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much that you loved us that you chose us before the creation of the world. Lord, that you had your heart focused on the joy of knowing that we would be yours. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross, that you took all of our sin, all of our, all of our weight, everything that would drag us down, Lord, or pull us back, that you took all of it. And so, God, we just commit this week into your hands. And I pray, God, that that we would become a group of people and a church of people that are just sold out for you, Father, that have our eyes set on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, the, the pioneer and um, finisher of our faith. God, you started it, you're leading us through it, and you will finish it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I promise you that no matter what happens, we will be in church some way, some shape, some form. If we're only allowed 10 people in there, we'll get 10 people in there. And whatever happens next Sunday, it'll be coming live from church. All right? So that's the deal. But let's hope, that let's hope, let's pray that we can all get in there next Sunday. Thank you so much for watching. Say hello to everyone that's in your groups this morning. Share some morning tea. Talk about the message. Talk about how awesome Jesus is. And let's catch up again next week. See you later.